We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. This episode of Everyday Acupuncture is sponsored in part by the Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine. Seattle Institute has been training exceptional clinicians since 1994. The program at Seattle Institute represents a modern take on the age-old model of apprenticeship training. One experienced teacher working with a small group of students focused on the clinical interaction with a patient. Using this approach not only provides students with the highest level of clinical training available today, it also grounds the program in the traditional methodologies used for centuries in the training of medical professionals. Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine is accepting applications now for the master's and doctoral programs beginning in September 2018. For more information, go to www.siom.com. Dot edu, or visit the show notes page for this episode. Hey folks, welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. Today I've got Marshall Garland with me. Marshall is a longtime Qigong and Tai Chi practitioner. Tai Chi and Qigong, these are part of the cultivation arts of China and a part of Chinese medicine we think of as Yangsheng, nourishing life. And they're considered by many to be essential practices for a multitude of reasons. I'm not going to get into that, but my guest is. So I'm very excited to have Marshall with me today. Marshall, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. Hi, Michael. Thanks very much. Glad to have you here. Hey, I'm curious, you know, as a friend of mine once said, when you start a podcast, all you've got is your integrity and no audience. And over time, that changes, right? Eventually, you get an audience. I'm just curious to know, how did you hear about my podcast? I walk my dog every night, and I listen to podcasts. And, oh, about a year and a half ago, I came across the China History Podcast from Laszlo Montgomery. 
Oh man, Laszlo Montgomery. Yeah, and I loved it thoroughly. It that guy is fantastic, isn't he? He is. He really is. And if you're into Judge D, he's got one this week on the story of uh, Robert Van Gulik and Judge D. I just finished listening to it last night. I'm not kidding you. That's yeah, great. And it occurred to me after I kind of caught up to all the missing or podcasts that I had missed, I started looking up podcasts in areas that I'm interested in. Uh, I've been doing Tai Chi and Qigong for well over 20 years. And I thought, well, there's got to be some stuff out there about this. And I came across yours, both of them, the Everyday Acupuncture and Geological. What got you started with this? A couple of things. One is my wife. I used to be in computer security way back in the day, as they say. Now, which day was that? In the late 90s. Just before the internet really hit. That's right. Uh-huh. And my wife said to me, you know, you sit in an office all day. You don't get any exercise. And there was a local Tai Chi school who was, was offering a seven or eight week summer course for $20. Oh, man, she what said, a deal. She said, it's only for the summer. You don't like it. You don't continue. Well, unfortunately, I got hooked. <laughs> and like they say, the rest is history. Yeah. I retired when I, would be, when I turned 65 about uh, four years ago. And I started doing this, I wouldn't say full-time, but I'm devoting more time to it now and teaching it. Whereas before, I was just practicing and practicing and practicing. I didn't have time to teach it before. Mm -hmm. So I had many years of practice of different types of Qigong and a few different types of Tai Chi. I, I want to get into that. I'm going to ask you that question in just a moment. And I'm, and I'm saying that as a little mental note to myself so I don't forget. But before I go into the different types of Tai Chi and Qigong and how they're different for that matter, you say you got hooked. Mm -hmm. What is it in you that got hooked? I think it might have been this. Around that same time, my doctor said to me, you know, your cholesterol level is through the roof. I'm going to put you on this horrible, ugly medicine for the rest of your life. And I said, no. I can turn it around. So the doctor said to me, okay, I'm going to give you, I forget if it was three or six months. Mm -hmm. You'll turn it around. You come back and you get the prescription for the ugly, horrible medicine. And I turned it around. Between diet and exercise, mainly Qigong, uh, I took off over 50 pounds. In how much time? In about six months. Six months. Mm -hmm. And my doctor said to me, I've never seen anyone fix their cholesterol problem in my life. Well, I guess you can't say that anymore, can he? <laughs> no. It was a she, and she's retired. <laughs> I proved her wrong. Yeah. So diet and Qigong. Mm -hmm. What did you do with your diet? I used to be a Coke and chocolate junkie. So you know what sugar does, right? That was the first thing to it's go. It's a very dangerous drug. Yeah, it really is. It's probably the worst one out there. Mm -hmm. The worst legal one out there. Yeah. That and a lot of Qigong. I could feel the pounds melting off while I was doing Qigong. I would sweat and the water would come dripping off me. It was amazing. Now, this is really interesting to hear because, you know, I think a lot of Westerners, we look at people doing Taijir, we look at people doing Qigong, and it's kind of like, well, that's interesting. A bunch of arm waving. 
Mm-hmm. They're not doing much. It's, you know, we usually think of, oh, you got to do aerobics or you got to lift weights or you've got to do something, you know, very cardiovascular with lots of movement. Only that is going to, well, burn calories is what we think. What's going on with Qigong if this kind of thing happens? Well, what they don't see when they look at someone in a park doing that kind of stuff is they don't see the mental activity that's taking place and they don't see the breathing taking place. And therefore, they don't see the change in metabolism taking place. It's almost, I guess if you're looking at it, it's almost like a con. Because how could that guy be losing weight? Right. Well, and you said you had sweat pouring off of you. Yeah, it was amazing. So your metabolism was definitely... My metabolism kicked up. Kicked up. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, I never at the time thought some way to measure what it was and what it was turning into. Yeah, in, in retrospect, wouldn't it have been great to do some kind of a test like that? It really would have. Yeah. yeah. But you were just in the process of avoiding a, a terrible drug. Subs- I, I think of those not as prescriptions, but as subscriptions. And you're subscribed for the rest of your life. That's right. So for those that don't know much about Qigong, tell us what's going on. There's something with breath. There's something with mental activity. Well, what you see is people as you say, waving their arms or maybe taking a step or two or this kind of thing. What you don't see is the coordination of breath. You breathe in, you breathe out. And you don't just breathe in and breathe out. You have to breathe in and breathe out properly. So, for example, we teach people how to breathe from the bottom part of their lungs up. Most people are shallow breathers. They just breathe with the top part of their lungs, as you probably know. And uh, we do some exercise and get people to breathe from the bottom part of their lungs and the center part, and then up. And after that class, people are amazed at how good they feel. And we get really good reports like, I slept so well that night. <laughs> Amazing yeah. what oxygen can do for your body. Right. I'll bet people's anxiety really ratchets down with that kind of breathing. It really does. And once they can do that kind of breathing comfortably, we get them to focus on it. Because focusing on the breathing means your mind is busy, right? You can't think of, oh, did I unplug the iron when I left the house? Did I turn off the stove? Did I leave my car running? Right? You're busy thinking of your breathing. So all that other stuff just disappears. So you're focusing your thought. Very, very focused. Mm-hmm. And when we do our moves in Qigong, we focus on the breathing, we focus on the move, and we f- try to focus on Muscles in the hand extending. You try and feel the muscle. So we try and calm the monkey mind, as we say. So this sounds really simple. Breathing a certain way, paying attention, noticing how our body feels. Um, I mean, it sounds a bit like meditation. It sounds very simple, not to be conflated with easy. Right. Definitely not easy. What gets in the way? What makes it so not easy uh what makes it not easy is the fact that it's so easy Uh, (laughs) people expect to have something hard right if you go rowing what do you expect you're gonna hurt your muscles as you're rowing unless you do it right i'm just sitting here breathing how hard is that how good can it be right people don't expect that people really figure that you need to exert a lot of effort to gain benefit, any kind of physical benefit. You know, the old saying of uh, 
no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you ever saw George Carlin and his famous "No pain, no pain." <laughs> and that's what we tell people: no pain, no pain. I, I didn't realize George Carlin was a Qigong master. <laughs> Not sure he was, <laughs> but it's a good philosophy. We tell people when we're teaching them, if you're feeling pain during any of these moves, you're not doing it right, stop, and we'll figure out a better way for you to do it. You shouldn't have any pain when you're doing this stuff. So would it be fair to say it is a practice of moving into ease? It's exactly what it is. Do you remember, there's a famous quote attributed to Bruce Lee. He was on a TV series many years ago, and then he did an interview with Pierre Burton, Canadian author. And he has a quote attributed to him called, Be Like Water. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but he says, Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. You put water into a cup, and it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle. It becomes the bottle. You put it into a teapot. It becomes the teapot. Water can flow, or creep, or drip, or crash water. And that's what we want our students to do. We want them to be that relaxed that they are like the water. You extend your hand and all the energy is going down your arm to your fingertips. And as you inhale, you can feel it coming back. You take a step and you ease into the step like water. And you're breathing with that. and You're focusing on that. And then you breathe in as you're coming back. Okay, so it's very fluid, and the, uh, the water image tends to work well. People relate to water. Well, we're 80-plus percent water, I think. Right, and we drink it every day in some form. We should be. So this gets a little bit, very quickly for me, into that whole Taoist idea of uwe, of no effort. It's a practice, in some ways, of not doing. Basically, it is. It's very Taoist in nature. And if you think of the opening stance in Tai Chi, actually it's the pre-opening stance, which we call the Wu Ji stance. You're standing there and you're relaxing into yourself and you're focusing on your breathing and the energy entering your body and the bad energy leaving your body as you exhale. It's very, very relating you to the earth below you and the sky or heavens or cosmos or whatever you want to call it above you. And you are the link between the earth and what's up there. Tian Ren Di, as they say in Chinese, right? Heaven, heaven, person, earth. Exactly. We are part of it. And so part of the practice of Qigong is recognizing that connection? It is. And when we teach people Qigong, we don't start off with that. We start off with something that's really tangible for them. You know, this is how you move. This is how you breathe. We don't get any to, into any philosophy with people who are just starting out because in the West, that's not how people think, right? People want to do. They don't want to think about something. Yeah. They may want to think of how to do this move better, but they're not really interested so much in the philosophy behind it. Well, it seems to me the lovely thing about these simple kinds of moves that focus awareness is it brings people into a, a coherence, a connection with themselves. Maybe they've not felt it for years, maybe they never felt it, depending on their childhood. Right. Now, we get that kind of feedback from people in class, and we have a couple of people in one of our classes who are yoga people, 
and they're into some of this type of philosophy and feeling uh, so they know what they're experiencing and uh, a lot of people don't but when they come out of a class they feel a lot better not just physically but emotionally they're less stressed the healing ability of qigong is incredible it really is like acupuncture or cupping or mock sebastian it's just another thing that helps people's own systems heal themselves Ah, I like that. It helps people's own systems feel themselves. Often I have people ask me about what I put on the needles, <laughs> which, right, to you and me, it's funny because we know that we put nothing on the needles. It's not an injection, which is what we're used to in the conventional medicine world. But what the needles do is they call out something in a person that is innate. It's already there. It may be slumbering. It may have sort of lost its way. It may not be activated in any kind of embodied way, but it's there. And the needles kind of call, well, they don't kind of, they do call it out sometimes in dramatic ways. Right. It sounds like with this practice of Qigong, it's doing the same thing. It's waking up that, that thing that we don't really have words for in English. It's exactly what it's doing. Can I give you a brief example? We had a woman in, actually, she keeps coming back. <laughs> so it's obviously doing some good for her. A few years ago, she got some kind of a virus that really affected her body physically and immune-wise. And uh, she was quite athletic before, and she had to stop. And she'd been trying all kinds of things. And she came to us because it looked interesting. And at the end of the first six-week course that she took with us, in an evaluation, she said, I'm going back to learning my, my ballet now because she had such severe problems with balance and vertigo, and they were gone just from Qigong. It sounds almost too good to be true. It does. You know, I mean, especially in our internet age, we're so used to wild claims of mind-blowing transformation in three weeks or less, uh, which, you know, we know is, is by and large a marketing ploy. And yet... My suspicion is these kinds of things don't happen for everybody. No, they don't. Or do they? No, they don't. No. Okay. So is there a difference between people who get dramatic effects and, and people who don't? Is it a matter of of practice or what is it? It's a combination of things. It's Partly it's practice. Partly it's the ability to relax enough to let everything work the way it should. Oh, man. Relax enough. Right? Oof, yeah. You strum a guitar string that's too taut, and what do you get, right, compared to one that's tuned just right or one that's not tuned? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The difference the difference is felt with every fiber of your body. That's right. Yeah. Several years ago, I developed a uh, trigger finger, and it took me about eight months of doing this Qigong to heal it. You know, trigger fingers are impossible to heal. You know this, right? Uh, that's so I've been told. One of my doctors suggested to me, well, we could do microsurgery on it. Uh, no, thanks. I've also been told that Raynaud's is impossible to cure. Well, I've seen some herbs be really helpful for that. I didn't do it with Qigong. It was before I was doing Qigong this much. But my acupuncturist cured it with several treatments of, well, quite a few treatments of uh, acupuncture and herbs. And it's cured. I haven't had it for six years now. Is there a particular type of Qigong 
that you're doing that yields these kind of results? I mean, I suspect there's all kinds of different qigongs, just like there's all kinds of different tai chis. There are, I don't know if anyone's really counted. There got to be over a thousand different type of qigong, and they all fall into different categories. There are four major categories. There's the medical qigong, martial arts qigong. It's called scholarly qigong and religious qigong. And the one that we teach is in the medical qigong category. The martial arts qigong would be for people who are studying kung fu or tai chi, and it's to build your core, to build your stamina. Now, that happens with the stuff we teach, but it's not the same way, because these things are also classified as soft or hard, internal or external. So if you want to learn qigong for a martial art, you would do a quote-unquote hard or external type of qigong. Uh, religious qigong and spiritual qigong, again, are different because one would let you try to attain enlightenment and the other is more spiritual. So you're sitting and you're focusing more. Your qigong is more in your mind than physical movement. Now, with medical qigong, there are several different kinds. There's one called guo lin qigong, which is specifically designed for cancer people. Uh, it's treated a lot of people who've suffered cancer. And the, uh, it was founded by a nurse. I forget what year she came across it, but she was she had terminal cancer. They told her, if I remember correctly, she had something like three months to live. And she was writing about this about 25 years later. <laughs> oops. Yeah, oops. Well, you know, calculators probably weren't as good back then. There's another one which is called standing post qigong, where basically you stand there, your arms are out in front of you, almost like you're hugging a tree. Right, yeah, the, um, the horse stance, right? Yeah, the horse stance, arms out. And that's really good for building your core. It really is. So there's not a lot to it, but there's a lot happening. Right? If you watch someone do it, oh, they're just standing there and breathing. But there's a lot happening in your body because you have to stand just the right way. Your head's aligned, your feet are aligned, your knees are aligned, your back is aligned. I like the way you say that. There's not a lot to it, but there's a lot happening. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's going on. The one that we teach has 36 moves in it. It was originally designed back in the 70s uh, in a hospital in Shanghai. And uh, the doctor who developed it, whose name is Dr. Zhuang Yuan Min, was a trauma specialist. And the government commissioned him to come up with a way of helping people who are in the hospital deal with their trauma, and continue getting better once they left the hospital. So he had a, uh, a base of roughly 10,000 people he could work with over the years. It wasn't all at once. And he took a combination of various types of qigong, kung fu, tai chi, extracted moves from a bunch of them, reassembled them after he analyzed scientifically what these things were going to do for a certain muscle, for a certain joint. So it's almost like he was a, a physical therapist looking at movements, but with this other eye toward internal practices. That's right. He wanted to use traditional Chinese practices to do this, and he discovered a lot. And he developed 18 moves, which proved to be very successful. The first 18 moves cover everything from your head down to your feet. And the second 18 go internal. So they cover organs. They cover the meridians. So, so this is an internal and external qigong both. That's right. And it starts out really easy. The first move is called slow neck rotation. You stand there and you rotate your head. You look to your left. You come back to center. 
rotate your head, look to the right, come back to center, look up, come back to center, look down, come back to center. How hard is that? I, I, somebody just after surgery in a bed could probably do it. Mm -hmm. But you do it enough times with breathing and slowly, and you're really going to improve a lot of what's happening in your neck. So this would help things like stenosis or the cervical uh, spine. Mm -hmm. It would. We had one lady in one of our classes who had whiplash 25 years ago. And since then, she had two more bouts of it just in the last couple of years. And she was seeing a physiotherapist. And the physiotherapist went on vacation and came back. Meanwhile, this woman was taking our class. After the fourth week, she went back to see this physiotherapist who said, what have you been doing to your neck? It's never been this flexible. Mm. So it works. Simple daily practice. Mm -hmm. I had one lady I had to laugh. She was standing at the bus stop. and She, she was doing, looking down the street for the bus, and she realized she just had to turn her neck. She didn't have to lean forward and twist her body to look for <laughs> the bus. Oh, yeah. Simple things. Yeah. Well, you know, those, those are the simple things that are not so simple. I mean, for someone who has had to twist their body to see, and they realize that now I'm just turning my neck, mm -hmm. it's, you know, your whole physical image of who you are suddenly has to get re-updated. That's right. Now, when we teach this, we tell our class in this first move, if you can only turn your neck 45 degrees, stop there. Don't go to the point where you're going to turn your neck more and injure a muscle or pull a ligament or whatever you're going to pull. We want you to be comfortable. Eventually, what will happen is things will loosen up. If you breathe enough and you keep that imagery of the water, things will loosen up, things will soften, and over time, you'll be able to turn your neck. And it works. Of course, us Westerners, North Americans in particular, we, are, we want to know how long is it going to take? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we seem to be very impatient. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To which I reply to people, it's not going to happen overnight. And by the way, this thing you're describing to me, how long did it take to get into that state? <laughs> did it happen overnight? Or did it take 10, 15 years? Because to undo something like that, if you undid it overnight, it would probably hurt. That's great. You know, I'm totally going to steal that and use it in my clinic because I hear it all the time. How long is this going to take? And being able to simply say, not overnight. Well, every, uh, duh, everybody knows that. <laughs> but the second part, how long did it take you to get here? Oh, 35 years. Oh, there's a little taste of reality for you, right? It really is. Yeah. With, without the finger pointing. Mm -hmm. That's that's gentle. That's lovely. I like it. <laughs> and it really drives the point home. It really does. Because it's so easy to say it the other way. Oh, sure it is. Well, dope. How long did it take you to get there? How long have you had this? That's, I mean, it's basically the same words with a whole different energy behind it. You bring in that inquiry. Not overnight. I just got a little Qigong lesson here that I can uh, apply in my clinical work. <laughs> Tell me again the name of this Qigong that you're doing. We call it therapeutic Qigong, and that's how we learned it. Mm -hmm. It's originated in China, in Shanghai, as Liangong Shibafa. Shibafa meaning 18. Mm -hmm. uh, 18 moves. And the, I think one of the reasons the 
our master changed it was because we're North Americans and we don't relate to a lot of the things that are from Chinese culture. So for example, there's one move that we do and it's called arm back stretch. And it's very descriptive. I, you know, I love the Chinese. They always just, in Chinese, it sounds like some exotic thing, but you know, arm back stretch. They just name it what it is. Well, they call it raise the iron bar. Mm. <laughs> okay. There's one, another, just one more example. We call it slow walking forward and backward. It's very descriptive of the move, and people can remember it. Well, in Chinese, it's stroll through the impregnable pass. Ah. Who's, who's going to remember that? I mean, some people would because it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's kind of poetic, but slow back and forth, that's very descriptive. Yeah. So all the moves that we have have titles that are very descriptive of the move, easy to remember. One thing that we have to keep in mind as teachers of this kind of thing, we're telling people to relax and be calm and be fluid. But people get stressed trying to learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. Am I doing it right? Did I miss a piece? And on and on. And, oh, did I, did I get the sequence right? So they get uptight about all kinds of things, and they don't need to be, and that's why, that's why we keep repeating and repeating and repeating. When I teach, I teach with my wife. Uh, I teach Tai Chi on my own, but I teach this with my wife. And one of us faces the class forward, and the other one has their back to the class. Because some people relate better following someone from the back and the others facing. Mm -hmm. And we found that really effective and we've got a lot of really good feedback for doing it that way. Right, because different people will process that input differently. Yeah, it's kind of funny watching people facing you and you move your arm, your right arm to the right and they're moving their left arm to their left. They're doing an exact opposite of what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. But it's a mirror. So whatever works. How is... Qigong different from Tai Chi? Uh, you're not going to like the answer because it is the same and it's different. It depends on the intention. Qigong is primarily used for some type of therapy or physical well-being or mental well-being or emotional well-being. Tai Chi is actually a type of Qigong. It depends on what your intent is. If you're learning Tai Chi as more for a health benefit, then you could consider it a form of Qigong. If you're learning Tai Chi to, as a martial art, martial arts have competitions. You've seen jujitsu competitions and karate. Well, they have wushu competitions, which would include kung fu and Tai Chi. There's no competition in Qigong. The only competition really is for yourself. You can't measure your own progress or feeling against that of someone else because you don't feel what the other person feels. The only goal is what you set for yourself. Whereas with Tai Chi, there's more of a goal-oriented thing to it. It's also a lot harder to learn in terms of... Now, I, the type of Tai Chi that I teach is the 24-move Beijing form, also called 24 Yang style. I said earlier that what we're teaching is 36 moves of Qigong. So how could 24 moves of Tai Chi be harder to learn than 36 moves of Qigong? Well, it is. Just because there's that much more detail. So there's more to pay attention to with the Qigong. I'm sorry, with the Tai Chi. There's a lot more to pay attention to. It takes a good 20 hours or so to learn the 24 moves of this type of Tai Chi. Whereas 
in six hours, someone can learn enough of the Qigong to keep doing it and get health benefit by repetition. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to do it wonderfully the same way that you're not going to do Tai Chi lovely after 20 hours, but you've got a foundation. You've got something to work with, something to build on. Mm-hmm. You, you got enough to get you going and keep you going. That's right. You mentioned intention a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what, how intention fits into this. Intention is it's an important aspect because if you, for example, if you were doing a Tai Chi move called brush knee, one arm goes down across your knee, the other one extends in front. Well, if you are feeling, if your intention is just to stick your arm out in front of you, you're not getting the same benefit as if you are focusing the center of your palm, pericardium eight, right? Going way out three feet in front of you. Okay, That's how you get the energy flowing in your body. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this while I'm talking to you to demonstrate it. But I'm doing that. I can actually feel the palm of my hand warming up. Yeah, I just, I just opened my palm and was, as you were saying it, you, you can put your hand out or you can open your palm and feel the energy moving out through pericardium eight. That's right. I remember I, I studied some Taiji when I lived in Beijing. And my teacher would say things like, like you'd be down and you, you'd come up. And he, he'd say, and feel your small intestine three, <laughs> like there's a little string attached to it and let that pull everything up. Mm-hmm. And that was a very different feeling than raise your hand up. Exactly. Simple little thing. Very, very simple little thing. Mm-hmm. Just let the energy come out like there's a string and everything's following the string. That's right. Or we tell people to stand a certain way, right? You want that the do 20 to be just aligned perfectly and you want that to be up. That's the top part of your body when you're standing. So for people that slouch or have posture issues, if they would simply have a practice of where's my do 20? Mm-hmm. That might help. It would. And that helps people in both Tai Chi and Qigong. Mm-hmm. For our listeners that might be a bit intrigued by this, maybe you want to learn a bit, what suggestions would you have for getting started if you're brand new to this? <laughs> there's a lot out there. One thing I would probably suggest is there's a website called qigonginstitute.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of information. They have a database if you want to look up a certain illness and what type of experiments have gone on uh, with Tai Chi or Qigong for a certain illness or what benefits a certain illness or does it benefit a certain illness. You can look that type of thing up. There's some books I would recommend. There's uh, Dr. Yang Zhuang Ming in the Boston area. He founded many, many years ago, he founded the YMAA, Young Martial Arts Association. And he's got an excellent series of books and DVDs on uh, Chinese Qigong. Uh, really good book on Qigong is called Qigong Empowerment, which is written by Master Xu Yu Liang of British Columbia. It's a pretty academic book, but there's a lot of really good information about the different types of Qigong. You know, if someone's interested in which one they might want to learn, then that's a good one to read. And another really good book I know mentioned is something called Tai Chi Chuan Through the Western Gate, which was written by Rick Barrett. And he takes Eastern and Western approaches 
to Tai Chi. And it's, he kind of brings them together. So it's geared for a Western audience. So he's bringing the Eastern to the Western. And uh, it's really good. He's got some good examples of transfer of energy and one ounce stops a thousand pounds. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, you have a website as well. Yes, I do. And uh, do you have learning resources on it there is, is, uh, also? Uh, a little, yeah. Not a lot, but I, I do have a few things. I do have a link to uh, my wife doing the set of Qigong. She looks very pretty in pink. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, people can actually see the thing happening. And, oh, by the way, there's official music to this as well. So, you know, if they watch the video, they can hear the official music. Being commissioned by the Chinese government, of course, they're not going to leave out any aspect, right? They're, these are the moves. This is the music. Seriously? Really? There's official Qigong music? Yeah. For this type of Qigong. For this type of Qigong. Yeah. Does it actually have a therapeutic effect or is it more... Um, actually, what it really does, it helps you keep pace because for each move... There's, a, there's slightly different melodies that go with it. But there's a fellow counting one to eight in Chinese. He calls the name in Chinese, which doesn't help a lot of us. But he also counts one to eight. So he listen to this a few times, and after a while, you learn how to count to eight in Chinese. But it really helps you focus what you're doing and time it so you're not rushing through it. It's so easy to do some of these moves quickly. Right. I mean, us Westerners, we're usually, well, you know, there's like, the, what is it? The seven minute workout now, so you can yeah. do this high intensity seven minutes. Oh, look! I got I I got my exercise done for the day. Yeah, that would be the opposite of qigong. <laughs> the slower the better. The slower the better. It takes if you do all thirty six moves. It will take you about twenty three and a half minutes, and that's at a leisurely pace. And how many times you know if someone wants to be a qigong practitioner? They want to add this to their life. Maybe they would like to change some health issues. Mm -hmm. Would they go through it once a day, twice a day, hour at a time? What, uh, is there, a, for lack of a better word, dosing that goes with this? Well, it depends on the situation. If someone wants to do this as just something to learn, or if they've come out of a situation and they're feeling better, then they want to do all 36, and it's more of a maintenance thing. So you do it once a day and you're okay. However, if you have an issue, for example, with your lumbar spine, okay, there are certain exercises in here that target that area. Mm -hmm. So we tell people, okay, do these three exercises several times a day. Do the whole thing. And that way your whole body is getting the exercise. And then you get some extra focus on the area that requires attention. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. So in all this time that you've been at it, I suspect you're always learning something new. There's probably something getting your attention that, that you're interested in. It never ends. Yeah, it never ends. I mean, that's the great, that's the great thing about these things, isn't it? That it, I mean, when we say lifelong practice, that's not like a sentence to, you know, a life of drudgery. That's a life of anticipation, right? That's right. What's your current curiosity with Qigong these days? What's, what's, got, what's got your focus? What's got your attention? I'm getting into more of the connection between Qigong and the your side of things, focusing on the meridians. Uh, for the past couple of years when I've been teaching, it's mainly a physical and mental connection that I've been teaching people. But in our last class, we don't normally have classes in the summer, but this summer we decided we're going to have a summer camp. So we did one evening a week for people. 
which proved very successful. People are just too busy. We live in Canada where it's 10 months of winter, or it feels like it anyways. And in summer, people want to do summer things. They don't want to come to class of any sort. Oh, yeah. They're active. They're, they want to be out and about. That's right. So we offered uh, what we call a summer camp. And one of the ladies called it boot camp. It goes against what Qigong is all about, but that's okay. It was, it was a good chuckle. But we got into more of the things like focusing on meridian points. A couple of the moves already focus on that. But for example, there are a couple of moves that where we stretch our arms out, which are and a couple of the positions are really, really good to open your lung meridian. There's one exercise we do where we're focusing on large intestine four. Some other ones where we're focusing on a whole bunch of points on the head. So since I also have a background in Twina, I know what some of the effects are going to be when people work on these points. Right. It's like getting an acupuncture treatment. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. We tell people at the beginning of this class that really what they're doing is self-physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. I mean, great. You can be your own physiotherapist. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Well, it's a physiotherapy that includes more than just the meat suit. That's right. It goes beyond the physical. Great. Well, Marshall, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners here today before we wind this down? Um, one thing that we do on occasion. Now, I'll send you the link to this. Bill Douglas was a founder of World Tai Chi and Qigong Day several years ago. And he's got a video on the internet of something called Seated Qigong. And he guides you through it. You sit there and you listen to it. And he talks you through it. It takes about 20 minutes. And we've done this very successfully with a couple of our classes. We do this followed by our regular Qigong. So they're doing the 20-minute seated, focusing on breathing and not moving, just breathing and mind. And then you add the physical, and it's really, really amazing what the result is. People just are blown away. So you sort of soften them up first with breathing and attention, and then add the physical movement. That's right. That sounds so simple. <laughs> it is. That's the problem with it. It's simple. How could it work? Well, that seems like a good message to uh, end the show with today, that it's simple. It's very simple and not easy. I shouldn't say that at the end, should I? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. You know, meditation is the same way. It's simple. It's not easy. It gets to a meditative state, actually, when you do this long enough. If you become aware enough of all these bits and pieces and you're comfortable enough with them all working together, then you actually can get into a meditative state with it. Mm -hmm. I would suspect it bleeds through into people's everyday life in surprising ways later on. We've had people tell us that some of these moves help them do whatever in their everyday life. All right. Well, Marshall, thanks again for taking the time today to sit down and talk with us about Qigong and Tai Chi. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.